Welcome back to the Brothers Book Club Podcast. I'm Travis. On the other end is Ryan. Hello. Yeah, say hello to the people. We're back. Hello, hello, hello. New week, new podcast. Uh, We're continuing with our Penguin Classics run. It's a, well, it's an early run. Who knows how long it'll last. Early run, it's a hot streak, yeah. Yeah, hopefully 80 episodes. Um, This week we're doing the fourth book in that collection, which is called, which it's an essay called On Murder considered as one of the fine arts so we're coming in hot coming in yep coming in real hot fresh off the uh the saga of gunlog before we get to reviews which is what we'll start with as usual it's a satire so we should just set that up straight away um obviously by an a satirist or essayist uh what's his name ryan his name is uh thomas de quincey and he wrote this, or he published this in uh, 1827. Okay, a ripe time for murder, apparently. It had something yeah. had been bothering him, and he this is him just letting it rip. Well, it said that, um, I guess that in December of 1811, there was a series of murders in uh, East London where he was living, and he became so fascinated by it, it started influencing all of his writing. So... This essay, it says he got this one published 16 years after, but um, yeah, said he was, the guy was haunted by the crime, so somehow Mm. was able to turn it into a satire, so see how that goes. Yeah. It does say on the back that it's darkly comic, which I'm just repackaging as satire. I guess I'm hoping it's satire. (laughs) If it's intended (laughs) to be comedy, then I think it's a satire. There's a part at the end that kind of was... was got pretty messed up, but um, I think in yeah. most of the book he's talking kind of in jest. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we'll dig in. Let's get to reviews now, then, man. What's the what's the review for this one for our our modern listeners with precious oh, little man. time to read? What uh, what are you giving them? Uh, I liked so the the first like the first part. I would say the first twenty to thirty pages, like the a good bulk of it, was pretty pretty tough to get through. Um, I don't know if it was just the writing style, um, or just like not enough of the satire kind of kicked in. He's talking a lot about philosophers and just like, uh, yeah, that one, that was tough to get through for the, for the beginning, but, uh, I thought it got really good at the end, like really good. Yeah. I, um, not that we're going to jump ahead to final scores or anything, but I sent you a text after I finished it and said, this is the yep. first like guaranteed three. I am actually yeah. going to track that just a little foreshadowing for the end because i had forgotten when i went back and reread and was like looking back through the things i had written down and marked it i think it drags too much so my review is that it's if you've ever read a modest proposal which is a satire essay by jonathan swift that is much more brief that is a very quick version of this kind of really dark satire this one i mean this book was what in the 50s is pages it, it there's yeah. a, there's at least 20 of a little bit of dead weight unless you really know a lot about philosophy because yeah. basically each section and i only knew of the five philosophers he writes about i only know two of them really well 
And a lot of it was just in kind of like what we'd call inside jokes about their general point of view and their general, like what they contributed to Western thought. And so it's just him taking digs. I remember one, he mentions um, it's John Locke. I think Mm -hmm. locker. um, I think it's, it's locker. The who's the, I think therefore I am dude. Rousseau maybe Descartes. Yeah. It's one of those guys. And he kind of says like, You'd you'd expect the person who has to move his trunks around to want to murder him at least because of how much he's written basically like he's written so much that people have to carry his stuff like yeah. have to carry all of the crap he's written so yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. you know it's just little barbs like that and there's too it's too much uh, it's not funny it's not as funny as the rest um, so my mine is like if you want a more verbose version of a modest proposal this is kind of perfect yeah you sent me that text and you said it was the first three and i was like oh man i'm really looking forward to starting this one and then i started it and i I was like through the first 20 pages i'm like dude what the hell is he talking about yeah that's a fair reaction i had finished yeah i came it comes in so hot at the end that i had finished it and thought well that was just great and you know it doesn't require too much time and it's funny and strange and like really almost eerie and yeah i was like oh this is it but then Ah, upon re-examination, well, we'll get to scores at the end. So yeah, my, yeah, yeah, my yeah. review is just, you know, because since most high school students who do like, I don't know, advanced English, or if you had to take like a rhetoric class or whatever, you probably have seen Jonathan Swift stuff. And this is just a lot like Modest Proposal. So if you ever wanted the sequel that you didn't know you needed, this might be it. Yeah, I can see that. What do you got for memorable quotes? What stood out to you? <sighs> oh, man. Um, well, like I said, towards the end of the book, a couple, a few things stood out. The, um, he said he went through a couple, um, I don't know if they were like little, he, he, he'd say it first and, uh, I think it's Latin, but then he'd do like the little translation. He'd do like, these oh, yeah. little constantly. What would you call those? It's like, a. I mean, a lot of it is just, he, I mean, he's so clearly trying to, I think the whole setup of this is he's trying to give a speech or make an argument in front of a crowd. Yeah, it's and like so a lecture. I think, yeah, so the whole point, I mean, it's kind of how they used to do rhetoric back then. Um, I have to talk to my students about this in tutoring sometimes, but a lot of it, a lot of their front, they front load a lot of premises. So it's just kind of like, we have to assume some logical premises or we have to assume some truths and, you know, a really academic or maybe pretentious way to do it is like, here's some things in Latin you should know, some truisms, some famous expressions, blah, blah, blah. And like yeah. now we can get on with like the actual meat of what I want to say. It's yeah. kind of like that. I think um, one of my favorite parts in the, in, you know, going back to kind of reading this, like he's up on, you know, somewhere talking to a bunch of people is he inserts like a, he inserts like a little pause for like applause and laughter. And he's like, here there was a general buzz, which at length broke out into open applause, upon which the lecturer blushed and went <laughs> and went on with much earnest earnestness. Right, yeah, yeah. Because I think it even sell, he sent this to a magazine saying, I was at a conference recently and this really disturbing thing happened. So it's the whole it's got a whole setup, but the 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 bulk of it is basically an essay about why murder is an art form. That's right. I mean, that's the heart of it. Yeah. Um, but I like that uh, little pause for applause that he snuck in there. And then I liked, um, there's a quote on page 45 that I'm going to open up to now. And it said, uh, the, mo- the moral of the story was good for it showed that an astonishing stimulus to latent talent is contained in any reasonable prospect of being murdered, which um, 
That was, yeah, that was really funny. (laughs) That was a pretty great one. It's basically, it's like, man, people will do a lot to avoid being murdered by somebody, which I have to agree with. Some of his better lines are about that, are about how frustrating it is for the artist to have to like wrestle their canvas down, which again is just so disturbing and funny and just like, yeah, it's disturbing. (laughs) Yeah, he talks about, uh, yeah, and I, yeah, he does refer to, um, and it's not like he's not talking about assassinations and he's not talking about like he he outlines like a very kind of um, sort of like different guidelines that you should abide by. And um, yeah, he does talk about like the interaction between the person who's doing the murdering and the person who's being murdered. And um, I thought that was a funny observation. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I, for my part, I'm bringing back two, um, I guess we can't call them segments, but two recurring quote themes or quote um, categorizations. Yeah, the Pinterest. Bringing back the Pinterest quote. Pinterest quote of the week. Let's it's back. It. You can't keep Pinterest down. You know? I think we may be the two people on earth who have referenced Pinterest so much and have both never used it, but I'm going to keep doing that. Um, I don't know yeah. why. It makes me happy. Me too. I like to pretend that I know things on the internet when I don't. Uh, that I think is part of it. I think that's everybody on the internet. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm joining in on that. Yeah. My, my Pinterest quote of the week is: "But even imperfection itself may have its ideal or perfect state." Which, come on, that's going up in somebody's kitchen, or that's <laughs> that's going above someone's couch. Yeah, somebody who like can't bake something like that. The it's like- the, con- the construction itself isn't even that, you know, this the the text of this is a bit older, but that's pretty readable too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I uh that kind of reminds me of um there was another quote where he's saying like even like the best thought out, the best planned murder could be like, you know, carried out perfectly, but um it's like often in the planning where that's where like the artist finds like the most uh, satisfaction because it's like everything that could be will be kind of thing. Yeah. The quote it, uh, man, it's, it's perfect for that because ripped out of, I mean, nothing is better than ripping a satire out of context and then treating it as authentic. That's why this quote is just so perfect. Cause he's talking about why murder should be an art because even though it's kind of like base, he says that it's, you know, even something even something that is harmful can have a perfect state, so we should start acknowledging when it's done perfectly. Like right. That is, yeah, I, again, applied to this is disturbing and I think kind of obviously satire, hopefully. Um, but you could easily see somebody just ripping that and putting it on a Facebook meme or like, God. Yeah, it's I think it's perfect for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. It's basically like... Um you ever, it's like, have you ever eaten like at a restaurant or something where it's like, oh man, that, that piece of steak or something, that was a work of art. And then it's like, well, what exactly would qualify that as an art form? And then you just dive in. That's basically exactly what this guy was doing. De Quincey. Yep. Yeah. And uh, bless him for it. Um, yeah. The other, other re- recurring category I'm bringing back, because I had to, to the fit, 
rap battle quote of the week also makes its return. I think he's got some bangers in here. He's got some zingers, which no rap battle person would ever say, but I'm saying. And he, zing, he zings here. Uh, he says, I forget who he's describing as this. I have the page number, so I'll check. But he says, he calls somebody some honest clod hoppers of Derbyshire, whom his own gaunt scarecrow of a person that belonged to quite another century would have frightened out of their wits. So he, he not only slings some at the clod hoppers of Derbyshire, which I think I looked up and it means like simpletons or something. Sure. And, and he calls him a gaunt scarecrow of a person that belonged to quite another century. So he's he's taking you know shots at everyone in that. Yeah, a couple digs there, a couple really good digs. There's um, I did notice that he does kind of pick up on. He talks a lot about um, yeah, like really specific places, like a, a lot of Cockney references, a lot of London references. Um, right, yeah. Thought yeah, I thought that was a. Uh, thought that was interesting he was describing thomas hobbs i just looked it up by the way oh yeah there you go he yeah because he basically he's like kind of just going back and talking about like starts talking about how like cain and abel like being like the first like uh like popular murder um and then he just goes on to describe yeah the so who is who's hobbs like um oh man um he would be the one i know the best but we'll keep it brief since you know new podcast new focus let's not go wikipedia paging too much okay Uh, hobbs is kind of a perfect one to bring you know this is weird though because our contemporary understanding of him and like how he fits into philosophy is probably different than he did when this dude wrote this but in basically in modern philosophy he's the shorthand for a dude who thinks that if we if we lost everything tomorrow we would all start killing each other again and then eventually the strong people would just dominate the weak ones that's probably (laughs) the fastest way i can say it (laughs) he's that he's that guy Okay. He, he did a lot of uh, his most famous thing. Leviathan is about like state of nature thought experiments. Like what is mankind like when, you know, in the state of nature before government or before society, that kind of stuff. And yeah. basically he was, he's famous for the nasty brutish and short quote, like life is nasty, brutish and short it without constraints of the government, blah, blah, blah. He also got really infamous or famous because in that same book he said, um, or no, that's in, Wait, that's in The Prince. That's Machiavelli. I'm thinking of somebody else. But the Hobbes thing is still everything I just said is the shorthand. Hmm. I was I was just about to conflate him with someone else. But um, yeah, Hobbes is basically like, you know, man needs restraints. Otherwise, you know, the weak will just get dominated. The strong will just kill each other over resources and whatever. So to bring him up in this, because I think he does make some, again, some in-jokes about how like Hobbes should have inspired murder more than any other philosopher. Cause I mean, he basically said that's what we would do and should do yeah, everybody <laughs> well, no, not should, but yeah, that everyone, sh- you know, could or should, you know, just be murdering each other anyway. So yeah. that was, yeah, but that's such, you know, we can call that inside baseball as an expression. Like, you know, I only knew that cause I had a few political philosophy classes in college. Like, I don't know why many people would know <laughs> the references. That's why oh, I yeah, can't, no, I had no idea. Yeah. I can't help but look at that section and think, I don't know. I mean, it's for academics basically. And right. he, he sets up the whole section by just saying his whole transition. Cause you're right. The Cain and Abel stuff is pretty funny. It, yeah. You know, and then he transitions by saying, of all the people to inspire murderers, like philosophers should be 
the the people so like they should be the most murdered <laughs> or the most attempted which again is a premise is like okay he's kind of a funny joke or whatever but right. it just takes it too far again each he, then he goes into like seven philosophers he goes into like yeah a ton of them and and how each one was maybe murdered and at that point i didn't you know i don't know autobiographical stuff or biographical stuff like i don't know because he talks about how some were were almost murdered and i don't know if that's true i don't know if he's making jokes and frankly unless you're willing to research that stuff it's going to feel flat because it's just like okay i don't you know i don't know the life as much as i know about hobbes from reading him i don't know anything about his life really other than he was an english guy yeah, I mean, I knew nothing about the dude. So that, um, yeah, I think that's what made the first, like, yeah, 25, 30 pages so, like, so slow to me. Yeah, and it comes in so well, too, because you're right, the Cain and Abel stuff is kind of, I guess that itself, though, is a bit of a Western civilization reference. I mean, you know, if you've never read the Bible, maybe you've been lucky, or any other religious text uh, with Old Testament in it, like... Maybe yeah, you know who no, Cain and Abel are. You, you might know it as like a cultural offhand or something, but even that's kind sure. of its own little reference. Just one that, you know, we knew. Yeah. And well, I did learn from this book that apparently Cain beat Abel with a gigantic stone. I did not know that. Yeah. Apparently hotly debated and not hotly very, not very uh, art, artfully done. I think in this guy's estimation. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So yeah, that was, that was an interesting uh, transition. Some really good quotes in here, though. I think, you know, the part of what you'd be getting out of reading this would be a, a lot of those small, is it like any good satire, like an Onion article, a lot of great setups with good um, payoffs or punchlines. There's he, he does it well. There's a lot of great puns. There's, yeah, it's just that a lot of it drags, too, in the middle. <laughs> Yeah, there was um, there was one other kind of good burn that I liked in here because I think it was um, it's on page thirty four. It's the last sentence in the first uh, paragraph. It says there was no room for display as the man could not possibly look more like a mummy when he was dead than he had done alive. And he was talking about uh, I think it's like something like there was an older man and there was like a young person and the person decided. I don't know to maybe murder the younger person. Yeah, it was that's an Immanuel Kant joke too. He's a philosopher that I also kind of know back from a college class. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, and I yeah, and again, I could dig into. I'm not going to go trying to explain jokes or what have you, or you know, satire. But I kind of get that one too. It's yeah, oh, man. Kind of. Okay. Yeah, I don't... You never had to read any Khan, huh? You came out on top then. He was probably <laughs> the third most unreadable person I had to read in college. Number Jeez. one for me will always be... Um, oh, gosh. It's a German guy who, like, inspired um, a lot of Marxists, and I took a class on that. Gosh, what was his name? I forget, but it's truly, oh, yeah. like, un- the most unreadable stuff. Probably number two, though, for me is Aristotle. If Did you ever have to read anything of his? I don't know. Can't remember. Oof. It that stuff is <laughs> that is that has not held up over the thousands of years. Um oh, man. And yeah, Plato has. Like Plato as a contemporary is insanely readable. Like very easy to access and a lot of it's told through stories, parables, but Aristotle is brutal. I would hard hard pass to the listeners out there just Wikipedia. Yeah. No, I I feel like if you would have told me that this book would be dealing with um as much philosophy as I think we've kind of been talking about, I would have, I, that would have been surprising to me. I did not see this shifting towards, uh, philosophers at all. 
But it was, uh, yeah. yeah, he took an interesting turn there. For and, it, and I guess, I suppose, you know, if you're listening and you're an academic or you're just, that's your passion, you read philosophy and like the history, whatever. I mean, this might be just a solid three because I'm sure, I mean, I know, I'm not even sure. I know there's jokes in there that I didn't get, you know, it's been years since I've read those authors and, um, even then it was, you know, I was didn't study philosophy, so it was only in a couple of classes. Um, yeah, you might get a lot out of that. Yeah, you probably yeah, love it. Targeted recommendation. Let's uh, switch to a segment that we're not going to forget to do ever again because it's been fruitful. And I, I guess we'll call it author to author. What's the what's the premise of this, Ryan? What are we doing? That sounds actually like that name for the segment. I think that works. Basically, I don't even remember how he came up with this, but trying to guess how the subject or author would relate from the last book that we talked about to this one, which I don't know if you listened or heard the one last week, but uh, Gunlog, the uh, Icelandic Viking. Serpent tongue. The serpent, yeah. Gunlog, the serpent tongue. Um I, th- I thought he would have taken, uh, I thought he would have been kind of taken with some parts in this book. I think he might have agreed on, on certain things. Uh, he certainly would have, you know, had some poetry to read about it. He would have had some, uh, some things to say, but I don't know. He, was, he uh, was a bit hesitant toward violence. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, what I wrote down on this was if you look at, like in this essay, I'll just read the quote. It says, at the same time, however disagreeable to the artist, the tendency in murder to excite and irritate the subject is certainly one of its advantages to the world in general, which we ought not to overlook since it favors the development of latent talent. I think you had, I think you had uh, actually quoted that Lat- earlier. Latent talent is a good term. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's like the development of latent talent. It's quite a funny... Uh, observation um but i think it would have helped maybe propel gunlog and like giving him some motivation for you know like going to murder people take revenge but i don't think you think in that story that they would have sung songs for assassinators or assassins assassinators isn't a word that's crazy assassins (laughs) Um, that's that's a made up i man yeah you know we've been talking about academia when we start making up words um But do you think, I mean, they just, when it came time to battle, they picked the same number of men and then met on a field and then just beat each other to death. Right. I I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, there's maybe a, a few things in here that maybe you could compare, but yeah, there was, I don't know, for being Vikings, they did have a very uh, sort of uh, unique and simple way of combat combating each other this is um i don't know yeah I, who knows man who who knows what they would have said uh, yeah i think the i know this the author of serpent tongue would have had probably far less to say about the murders in this book 
in the new one since they don't seem to have much motivation you know as as the guy kind of talks about you know the best murderers don't get caught so to speak so you're not right. having there's no climactic showdown it's all shadow work it's all hidden you know you're supposed to do your work he makes a big deal about it being like oh if it's daytime that's a completely different murder um uh, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's i don't know i don't i think the gunlog author would not have much to i mean he could go into the names there's always names he can do all kinds of lists about people and their their ancestors, but I don't know if the story would have excited him or any of the stories. Maybe the baker, though. Hey, man! Now that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. We get into because I thought that was the best part of the book. Yeah, and let's not. This is where, as a review, we should stay at least a little away. You know, let potential yeah, readers dig in. But, yeah, we don't have to break it down. Yeah, entirely, set it up. Why is that? Um, and we can switch to the final review and rating. What does that affect your score? Yeah, that it really did. Uh, I think without that story in particular, which is towards the end of the book, and then probably you know without the last. 15 or 20 pages i would have i would have definitely gone solid one uh for this guy but because of those and just because on um or because of how he ends it i thought this book gets a solid two this is a this is two stumps you should seek this out yeah he in that story he gives a round by round breakdown for like 20 some rounds of their fighting each other because the guy doesn't want to be murdered which then yeah, bleeds into a, yeah, it just bleeds into a lot of thoughts about why the murderer should be more respected and not not as uh, they don't have all the advantages. They're not in such a privileged privileged positions. That kind of he has a lot of thoughts about that. Yeah, yeah. there's a, a dialogue, but they they box for like twenty eight rounds or something like that. Right. And the whole story could be fabricated. I I didn't research any of it. I mean, he could, I assume he took inspiration to to write something as grim as this, that he took inspiration from real accounts or newspapers or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it seemed like everybody was kind of like a fighter back back in those days. And he's just got such a funny style and is great with puns. And just the satire itself is so quick and uh, just witty that I wish more of it was spent on these taking news stories and spinning them less on like here's a joke about Immanuel Kant that like again today not too many people are going to pull that one out we, we don't yeah no, yeah exactly I think the best part about the the whole uh, Baker story was like man I was in Germany this one time and I passed this guy and he told me this like insane story um and then it kind of gets into it instead of like Oh yeah, like Aristotle and Descartes. Like here is their whole spiel. Like here's <laughs> here's like what I you know. And then you kind of go into it. I don't know. It just felt more natural, more uh, satirical to me. Yeah, I will concur with your two. I think I'm settled. I've talked myself into it just now. Over there, over the course of this pod. Man, I can't believe you uh, you hyped at, it up so much. At its best. I did. I think I did write too in the text, like unequivocal, or I, I don't know. That guy did was drunk, or I had some wine right, or something. Hold on, man. Yeah, hold on. This is all right. Now I'm gonna have to. I'm pulling up the text, bro. I'm pulling it up. It's okay to have receipts. I don't mind. We, it's a digital age, right? Get the information the out there. Yeah, proofs. Uh, proofs in the pudding. Let the people know. I don't mind. Uh, okay, hold on. Well, we don't. I'm not. I don't have to read the whole thing. But here, let's. Uh, well, not. Oh yeah. 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 No, he said uh, it's the first unequivocal three must read. End quote. Damn. 
I, you know, I was so young and naive back then. I hadn't got ahead. <laughs> I was too was, eager. Uh, man, that was, yeah, that I, I think was, like, I, want, that was on Saturday, I wanted so. it too much, I think is the problem. I wanted a three and we, trust, we haven't had one yet. Trust me, man. I think when you finish the book, I feel like you are kind of riding like a little high because the last 20 pages are fantastic. It's They're true. Really yeah, it's true. And then, you know, thinking about it and having to talk through the through the first half is just uh, that's just not that's not three material. I think uh, this will be the perfect segue to, to conclude and wrap also. But uh, next week is one of the classics that when I first gave these a go around was one of the ones I finished and I wrote a lot of things in it. I marked it up a ton because it is nice. it's a it's a philosopher I also had to read in college. Very, very infamous dude, Mr. Frederick Nietzsche. Oh yeah, here we go. Yeah. This is uh this was one of the big names that when you got when I received the box set, it's one that you like pick out immediately and it's the first like recognizable author that I think I I will have read so far. So I'm pumped. Yes, me too. No question. The other ones were 100% had never heard of them before. I, this, yeah. this was the first two. I think when I first tackled these, I ended up reading about 10 of the 80. Mostly, I just was reading things from people or authors I knew, but then never read it. Because I think I had to read two of his books and a bunch of other things from him. But n- I've never read... I think this came from a collection called Human All Too Human, I remember looking it up because he, a lot of his works are just things like this, these maxims that he just put into themes or collections. And so yeah. they're supposed to be about love and hate. They're not entirely, at least from what I wrote down, but that's kind of the setup of it. Yeah. I'm excited, man. And it's, it's funny. I was just looking down the list and um, guess what uh, volume number eight is. What's that? It is Jonathan Swift. A modest proposal. Oh, that'll be. Oh, we'll be back shortly then. Obviously, the uh, yeah. person who collected this or the editorial board had a bias because that yeah. reads. That's also. I'll be intrigued to see how long that actually is. In my memory, it's really brief, but it might be like fifty pages. I'm not sure. Yeah, who knows, man? We'll okay. we'll have to we'll circle back. I just ra- opened the Nietzsche to a random page, and it's the it's one of his ma- maxims on happiness of marriage, and it says. Everything habitual draws an ever tighter net of spider webs around us. Then we notice that the fibers have become traps and that we ourselves are sitting in the middle like a spider that got caught there and must feed on its own blood. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll save the unequivocal three maybe for next time. Oh, my God. That's something to tune into. That's going to be the one. That might be, uh, yeah, that's going to be a good one. God, yeah. He, I, he's the perfect there's a reason his name gets thrown about for like your really renegade high school or even like college yeah. kind of contrarian types or just kind of sure. anti-establishment types. I had a high yep. school friend. We'll, we'll wrap this up here, but I had a high school friend who I'm certain never read a book in his life or at least not in <laughs> high school, but loved the Nietzsche quote about basically any anti-religion Nietzsche quote. He was like, man, you know, he had him written down in notebooks and such. Scroll. Oh yeah. Fantastic. Woo! Yeah. Oh man. That's, he would probably be ashamed that that's his legacy is giving like kids in their basements <laughs> who hate, you know, their situations, like excuses to be mad at the world yeah. and hate religion. Um, yeah. Yeah, and oh man. It's 2019, man. I think a lot of people would be pretty upset. Sure, yeah. Maybe it's time to (laughs) lean in, as they say. Let's lean into some aphorisms on love and hate. 
I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. I think that's, um, well, we can start there next week. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was our review of On Murder, considered as one of the fine arts. Sounds like we came out qualified recommendations. You know, if you're looking for some rhetorical satire, go for it. Otherwise, just go to theonion.com too. I don't know. I mean, they do pretty good satire there like every week. Yeah, do whatever you want, man. Word. But you're not trying to say pick up a book, maybe. I think this one will be worth it. Yeah, me too. And um, all right, man, I'm going to sign us off here, but uh, you have anything else? No, take us away. Take us out. All right, man. We'll see you for uh, aphorisms on love and hate next week. And uh, in between, we'll see you between the classics. Yeah.